Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Uh, remind you that uh, in a few weeks' time, uh, I will be traveling to the nation of Nigeria, uh, city of Lagos, uh, to preach some revival services there, I want to I just mention that because I would like you to pray. I know there's some prayer warriors in the house of God, and I uh, want to encourage you to pray for that trip, that there would be a fruitful time as we go. And uh, perhaps God would move you uh, to give a special offering uh, to support that, uh, that we can take and be a blessing to our missionary work in Lagos, Nigeria. Pastor Bitwell and Mary Hangandu. We're, we're going to be uh, putting together a... a, a a package for them, uh, a generosity package. Since, I, since I'll be traveling alone, that means I'll get two suitcases that I can bring. And uh, what we love to do is we love to bless missionaries. Uh, and the way that we do that is we load a whole suitcase full of American goodies that they can't get in Nigeria. So we're going to go to Walmart and we're going to get Pop-Tarts and we're going to get licorice and we're going to get, you know, the things that you can't get uh, in other places, and we're going to be a blessing to them. So we'll be putting together a, a care package for them. But this morning, uh, we're so glad, once again, that you're here. And we're going to look into the book of Exodus and chapter 2. As we consider some scripture this morning, uh, let me just give a public service announcement for Mother's, gift, Mother's Day gift buying guide. Number one. Don't buy anything that plugs in. Anything requiring electricity is too utilitarian. Number two, don't buy clothing that involves sizes. Chances are one in 8,000 that you're going to get the size right, and your wife will be offended by the other 7,999 things that you buy. Do I look like a size 16? She'll say. Or if you get a size too small, I haven't worn that in 20 years. It's just better to stay away. <laughs> Avoid useful things. The new silver polish advertised to save hundreds of hours is not going to win you any brownie points. Number four, don't buy anything that involves weight loss. Bad mistake. She'll perceive a six-month membership to a diet center as... Uh, as, uh, as a message that you think she's too fat. Don't buy jewelry. The jewelry your wife wants, you probably can't afford. And the jewelry that you can afford, she probably doesn't want. Guys, don't fall into the trap of buying frilly underwear. Your, your idea of what she should wear and what she actually wears are very, very different. And finally, don't spend too much on the Mother's Day gift. How are we going to afford this, she will ask. But don't spend only a little bit. She'll think, is that all I'm worth? 
Oh, it's tough to buy Mother's Day gifts. But if you are listening to this today and you are actually taking notes, then you are already in big trouble because that means you haven't bought a gift. And that means you're going to be in trouble until the next opportunity, anniversary, birthday. So I'm sorry to deliver the bad news. Now, we are here to celebrate Mother's Day. Uh, and we, are, we do that because mothers have a very special place in our hearts, in our culture. And, uh, and even though I am keenly aware today that Mother's Day can be bittersweet for some people, uh, for some, uh, your mother was perhaps absent or she was not kind or she didn't take care. But for most of us, mom is a very special person. That's why uh, in, in prisons today, in prisons today, uh, that there are cards that are being sent uh, to mothers, because even even those who are incarcerated still love their mamas, and they those mamas still love their babies, and they can do no wrong. It's a good thing that moms are not perse- uh, prosecutors in our ju- justice system. Uh, but today we want to take a look in our scripture in Exodus chapter two. And I want to look at a couple, uh, a couple named Yochebed and Amram, who are the parents of someone that you've heard of, the parents of Moses. And on this Mother's Day, uh, this couple can set a fantastic example for all of us, mothers and fathers alike, and even us, uh, even if you are not a mother-father, even if you are not in that stage of life, you're going to learn something powerful this morning from this scripture And I want to uh, preach a message that I've titled Courageous Parenting. And I want you to follow along with me in Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. A man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. His sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river and her maidens walked alongside the river. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. His sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you wages Part we might skip over, but that's very interesting. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew 
one of his brethren. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus, and I thank you for this opportunity that we have to honor mothers and parents, God, in this assembly today. I'm praying, God, that you would give us courage to raise a generation, God, that would bring honor to your name. I'm praying this morning that ears and hearts would be open to your word, that you would speak, and that you would do more than what is humanly possible today. I'm praying that your spirit would encourage, would equip, and would prepare us for the path that you have set before us. I thank you for your grace and your mercy in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. amen. So courageous parenting. Now, I, wanna, uh, I want to speak, of course, to mothers and, and fathers in this place, but I want to speak also to everyone else. If you're in a different stage of life, you're not raising small children, this also has great value for us today. Most of us are familiar with the context in which this story takes place. We know that years, uh, hundreds of years before uh, this story that we read, it was the Jewish people, the sons of Israel and Jacob, who had come into Egypt because of a severe famine. When they had come into the land, they were not very many. There was only uh, less than a hundred that traveled with them into Egypt. But by this time, those less than a hundred have become slaves in the nation of Egypt. They have known hardship. They have known what it means to be under the burden, under the thumb of a dictator named Pharaoh. 400 years have passed and for years the Jews have been crying out to their God to send a deliverer to bring them out of this bondage. And, uh, and it seemed that every time the Pharaoh, he, he was concerned about the growing numbers of the Jewish people. And so uh, we know that in the previous chapter, you read it, that he put in, he implemented some policies intended to thin out the crowd. He began to put a, a moratorium on Jewish boys being born. He began to uh, put to death any infant that was under the age of two years old. And this was the policy. And you read in chapter 1 of the same book about the midwives of the Jews and how they would protect the babies as they were being born. But it seemed that no matter what Pharaoh did, that their numbers would continue to grow and multiply. And so just imagine for a moment living in that kind of, of situation. If you're Jochebed uh, and Amram, this is the name of this couple, and you're living as a slave in Egypt, how is it then that you would think to bring a child into the world at that moment? That would be a pretty frightening prospect. We today live in a culture where there are many people who say, well, the world is too scary to have children today. The environment is going to crash and burn. Global warming, climate change, whether you believe in it or not, it's a scary prospect. How can we bring children? When there's violence in the schools, how could we bring children into the world like that? And the situation that they face in many ways, we can see echoes of that in our culture today. So first, I want to show you the courage to procreate. They chose life, even in a very difficult situation. Acts chapter 7 tells us about this couple. 
Acts chapter 7, verse uh, verse 20. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. Even under all this oppression from Pharaoh, even under all this threat of danger, even in a culture of death, they said, we are going to protect this child. Even if it ends up with the worst situation possible, we are going to choose life. Let's also face some facts this morning. We live in a culture that glorifies death. We live in a culture in many ways uh, uh, that the, the, the prevailing trend is we don't want to bring children into the world. And if by chance someone uh, becomes pregnant at the wrong time or with the wrong situation, so often the answer is just, well, snuff it out. That's not really a person. We can just uh, go to the Planned Parenthood and they'll take care of it. Consider the following statistics. There are only really three real reasons that anyone would choose abortion. Uh, 75% of people, of women who've had abortions say that it's because it would interfere with their work or their school. Of that 25% left over, three-fourths of them have said they can't afford the child. And of those that are left over, half of them say they just don't want to be a single parent. They don't want to have problems with a husband or their partner. Because of the radical abortion laws that we have in the United States, there have been 61 million babies. 61 million. I want you to feel the gravity of that. 61 million babies aborted since 1973. Just this year, what's today? May the 12th. In just from January 1st until May the 12th in 2019, there are, according to uh, abortionnumbers.com, 338,572 abortions this year. That's happening today. That's, that's what you call a culture of death. Now, there's a lot more I could say about abortion, and if you are here this morning and that is in your past, I want to tell you that it's in your past. And you can find healing and forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. And we are not here to condemn. We are here to tell you that there is forgiveness for the sin of abortion. But as we look at this scripture, we find that even in the culture of death, Jochebed and, and, uh, and her husband chose life, chose to protect life, chose to seek out to have a child, and it's a good thing they did, isn't it? They didn't know that this child was one day going to deliver them out of Egypt. And that is why any argument against abortion is so small in comparison because who knows if we are aborting the next doctor who's going to invent a cure for cancer. Who knows if we are aborting someone, uh, an astronaut, who's going to pioneer a mission to the moon or to Mars, or who's going to broker a peace deal, or who's going to invent a technology that's going to make your life easier. We must, as parents, defend life. Secondly, we see that the parents of Moses, that they made a choice 
of faith. I want you to see this scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. It says these words, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, we know Hebrews chapter 11 as the hall of fame of faith, right? Hebrews chapter 11 includes the likes of Abraham, includes David, and includes all the great heroes of the past, including Moses. But I want you to pay close attention to that scripture I just read, because that scripture was not about Moses. That scripture was about Moses' parents. The faith that they have, and even though they are not named in this verse, it says that that his parents began to hide him and they were not afraid of the king's command. Everybody say, not afraid. There is a lot of fear in parenting today. A lot of that has come because of our 24-hour news cycle. As soon as some kind of terrible thing has taken place, it's all over the news. And we as parents, we see the dangers that our children are facing in public school. We see that there's threats of uh, people living down the block and sex offenders and, uh, and, uh, and kidnappings and all kinds. Co- and what does that produce in us as parents? Fear. And so much of our parenting today is motivated by fear. Keeping a close grasp on those children because I'm afraid of what might happen if I let them out of my grip until they're 25 years old. And if we are parenting out of fear, yes, I understand that there are certainly dangers that we must protect against. But fear should not be your motivating factor this morning. Somebody say amen. Fear is not from the Lord. Fear is never of God. What we see about the parents of Moses is that they were not motivated by fear. You would think... That it would say that they hid their child away because they were certainly afraid of Pharaoh and his soldiers and his army that they were going to come and destroy our beautiful little baby. But did you notice it did not say anything about fear? The reason it said that they hid their child was because of faith, because specifically they were not afraid of the king's command. They were not afraid. They were doing this in great faith and confidence in God. It was not fear that motivated them, but it was faith. They held Moses as long as they could. Could you imagine trying to hide a baby, brand new baby, for three months' time? In those days, uh, they would not only, if uh, the scholars tell us that that uh, if the soldiers found out that a family had been hiding a male child, that they would not only kill the baby, but also those who were together hiding him. And so it was a very dangerous prospect, the thing that they were doing. They were taking their lives into their own hand. And they began to do this, not because they were afraid of losing their son, but because they believed in something bigger. I remember when we brought home our brand new baby, and uh, she was... uh, Wow, Jaylee was, uh, she was cranky. She didn't like to sleep. 
You know, there's some kids that for you know that they just they're they're like little puppies. They just sleep 20 hours a day. This was not Jaylee. Boy, she did not want to sleep. I remember uh, that when the only way that we figured out that we could get her to sleep, and this took a whole month for us to figure out. This was the only way that after about 20 minutes, you know, of doing this action right here, this was it, back and forth. And so I wonder, I wonder if the reason why she has uh, problems with, uh, with getting sick in the car is probably because of that. Well, I would do that for 20 minutes, right? And, and I would hold her like this, and then, and then I'd do the thing where you try to lay her down in the bed. You're like, so slow, like slow motion. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know how many hours of fighting we did like that. I want to tell you, there is no way that she would have survived if we were in that situation. But these parents, God covered them and helped them to protect this child. It said in verse 2 of our scripture that he was a beautiful child. Now, I know that every mother thinks their babies are beautiful. But they're not. (laughs) Some babies are just, wow. It's a good thing they're yours. But, you know, they're they're cute. But when the Bible says that he was a beautiful child, it was not just talking about his physical appearance. The word actually means that he was very healthy, that he was robust, that he was strong. Acts 7.21 says he was exceedingly fair he was a proper child that he they looked at him and they said there is something about this baby that he's got a destiny can i tell you that we can say that about every child that comes into the world and yes some babies have trouble or some children are difficult all the parents said amen some children give us problems (laughs) but we can look at them and say, God has put a purpose in this child. We can see in them something, and this is part of their faith, is that they said this child is not for throwing away. This child is worthy of our sacrifice and our attention. They acted in faith and they trusted the heart of God, even when they couldn't understand, God, how is it that you've put us in this situation, in this difficulty? Sometimes if things are difficult financially and it's hard to put food on the table and it's hard to pay the electric bill and we can get angry and we can say, God, why, why have you given me these children and these crazy children who are unthankful and who fight with me over every morsel that I've worked hard to provide for them and they push it away and we can get frustrated as parents. Faith means that like Jochebed and Amram, that we are going to do everything in our power to protect and see that these parents, that these, that this children is going to become what God wants him to be. This is what faith says as a parent. Listen to Chuck Swindoll, a famous preacher here in America. And he, he had this statement about faith that I wanted to read to you. Listen carefully. 
Walking by faith does not mean that we stop thinking. Trusting God does not imply becoming lazy or apathetic. That is not built. That is not biblical faith. You and I need to trust God for our finances, but that's not a license to be foolish with how we spend money. You and I need to trust God for safety while we're driving in the car. But that doesn't mean that you should be stupid and pass other cars on a blind curve. We need to trust God for our health. But that doesn't mean that you should just keep on chain smoking like a chimney, stay up half the night, and eat potato chips and Twinkies with no consequences. See, faith and actions go hand in hand. They always have. This is what we see in this couple. See, they could have said to themselves, we believe God and sit back and do nothing. But that's not what this couple did, was it? This couple began to put a plan in action, and especially with Yocheved, the mother. We don't see the father in action here. He's probably off building one of the pyramids in Egypt. But this plan that was hatched and executed was planned and hatched and executed by the mother of Moses, Yochebed. And it's amazing to me what she does in verse 3, when she could no longer hide him. She took an ark of bulrushes for him. She daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river bank. Now, doesn't it seem odd? Doesn't it seem that this is opposite of the mother's intuition. The mother's intuition would be to hold that baby tight and sacrifice herself. But instead, her action is, I'm going to put a plan to put this baby into a place of danger. The Nile River was the very place where they would take dead babies and toss them in. They, the, the Nile River was actually a god to the Egyptians, and they thought that they were doing a sacrifice. It was infested with crocodiles. Still is. And they would toss the babies in there, and you would think, have you lost your mind, Yochebed? Don't you know how dangerous this place is? But she is not parenting out of fear. She is parenting from a place of faith. Every parent can learn here. Every disciple can learn here. When we put people, when we are training people, when we are helping people, it does not help to overprotect. That was a good place to say amen. It is not good strategy to, sh- to shield too much. Sometimes you got to let Junior slip and fall. Sometimes you got to let little, little Susie You've got to let them make a mistake or two in life. How are they going to learn? Parents who, uh, who act in fear alone are generating people who are going to one day rebel and rebel hard. It seems odd to me that they would hide their baby in the very place where other babies were being drowned and eaten by crocodiles. Was this some message of God that she had heard from the Lord, or was it just desperation? Now, you might have seen the movie of this situation. You remember the Prince of Egypt? 
I think it was a Disney movie, wasn't it? Maybe not. Uh, but it was an animated cartoon, uh, and and uh, and she's singing this beautiful song, and she's putting the baby in this little boat, and he's floating down the river. But all of that is very good for Hollywood. That's not what's in the Bible. Read it carefully one more time. It says that she put the child in the ark and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. Now, this baby was not floating down the river between the mouths of crocodiles. She put it in a very specific place with a very specific thought in mind. Perhaps she knew that this was a place where the Pharaoh's daughter would come and take her baths. See, she was, in her mind, she was strategizing. She was making a plan and putting it into action. Sometimes faith requires that we do more than just sit back and wait for a miracle to happen. Sometimes the miracle happens when you put your faith in action. And that's what she did. She put her baby in a place where the child would be noticed. She also sent her, uh, his older sister, Miriam, to watch over him. And no doubt, I believe that she instructed Miriam on what to say. In verse 5, it says, The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. Her maidens walked alongside, along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to go get it. When she opened it, she saw the child and the baby wept. It was this very same place that baby Moses was placed and spotted among the reeds. Miriam was there to watch over. The name that was given to this baby by the daughter of Pharaoh, the name is Moses. And the name literally means to be drawn out, to be taken out of a dangerous place, which was very prophetic, isn't it? Because it's this same person, Moses, the one who is drawn out from a dangerous place, who would later lead the rest of his people out of the bondage of Egypt under the mighty hand of God. But there's a detail here that I want you to catch. It's so interesting. The sister of Moses, Miriam, verse 7, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Now, Pharaoh's uh, daughter, of course, uh, she had not given birth to this child, could not care for him in the way that uh, a natural mother could. And so it made sense to her. Hey, yeah, we need to, we need to feed this child. We need to make sure that he's healthy and strong. Hey, I know just the lady for you. And it was Miriam at the right time, at the right place, who goes back to Moses' mother, Jochebed, Go, she says, and now under the authority of Pharaoh himself, they came and called the child's mother. Look at verse 9. The Pharaoh said to her, take this, uh, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. Now you just think about that. She is now getting paid to be a nanny for her own son. Who did that? God did that. This is the result of courageous parenting. What does fearful parenting look like? I'm going to hold on to this baby until we self-destruct. 
That's fearful parenting. Courageous parenting is putting your child in the place where God can put him or her in the right place. And when we do that, it becomes a blessing right back. If she had held on to little Moses, she no doubt would have lost him in the river and probably perhaps could have died in the process. But because she was willing to let him go, she found the blessing of God. She found the blessing of once again being able to hold her son and raise him and train him and nurse him. She also found the financial blessing of being paid for it. Say amen, somebody. That's what God can do. That's what mom is supposed to do, but now she's getting paid for it. I'm sure Mr. Uh, Yochebed was very happy about this. But this is the, the, this is the result of parenting by courage rather than by fear. I want to close by looking at the heritage that they passed on. They passed a heritage on to this boy. She only had three short years, the Bible says, before she released him back into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter. So in the three years that she was raising this boy, training him, she put something into him that he would never forget. And I want to encourage you parents here today. You have a position and a place of prominence that no other person on this earth has. You might send your children off to a school, to a teacher, but you have the position of being able to train them. How do we pass on our faith to our children? Because this is what it says Yochebed did. It says in verse 11 of our scripture, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown. That he went out to his brethren and he looked at their burdens. Tradition tells us that this is probably when he was about 40 years old. Well, we're fast forwarding a few decades here. And he goes out and he looks at his brethren and looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian. Now just think, he was pretty much an Egyptian from age three forward. He was raised in the very house of Pharaoh. He was trained to be a prince of Egypt. He had had a silver spoon in his mouth. He had had the finest foods. Uh, at the time, Egypt was the powerhouse of the world. They had the greatest technology. They had the most wealth. They had it all. They had the greatest leader. And so even though they were a pagan culture, he would have been raised in the lap of luxury. But even with all of that, when he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, there was a fire that rose up inside of him. There was a conviction. Where did that conviction come from? It came from his mother, Yochebed, and his father, Amram. It came from the connection, the bond that had been made in those very early years. That somehow they were able to pass on to young Moses a vision of the world, a perspective an identity that he knew who he was. He knew that even though he had been raised in the riches of Egypt, that he was not an Egyptian. This is where I want to encourage you parents. 
We are raising our children in a culture of Egypt. But they are not Egyptians. We must raise our children in the culture of the things of God. We must have times of prayer and Bible study. If the only time your child has exposure to the Word of God is in Sunday school on Sunday morning, we're failing our children, aren't we? They should see it in your home. Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 says you shall teach them the the words of God. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. What do you talk to your children about? The latest Marvel movies? The latest WrestleMania stars? The latest video game that came out? I understand we need to connect with our children on the level they understand, but the Bible says we need to talk to them about his word. How about Proverbs 22, verse 6? Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word was train, not raise. Training is different from raising. We talked about this some years ago when we did a study, a Bible study. In, uh, in raising and training up children. But when you're raising children, you're providing a, a, ho- a roof over their heads and a bed for them to sleep on. And yes, we need to do that. But that's not training children. The idea of the scripture, train up a child, is the idea of a drill instructor. It's the idea of a personal trainer at the gym. It's the idea of someone who is going not only to provide for a child, but teach a child. What if this mother and this father had just provided for Moses? What if they had given him everything that he needed physically and failed to pass on their beliefs to him? They might still be in bondage. But because they passed on a worldview, they passed on a biblical value system, it was this same boy who came back to deliver them years in the future. We can learn from this scripture this morning that we can trust God. I want you all to turn once again to Hebrews chapter 11 as we close. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith. And as we're turning there, I want to remind you once again, whether you are a parent and you're raising, you're training children, or whether you're not in that stage of life today, I want you to hear this message. You can trust God. You can trust Him. When you live according to His principles and you do according to His Word, you can trust Him. The parents of Moses discovered this. Hebrews 11, verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That was an action of faith. It would have been easy for him to say, Oh, let me go back home to my adopted mother, the one who provided for me. But when he came of age, that was not who he went back to, was it? 
He went back to where his spiritual heritage came from, to his mother, Jochebed, and his father, Amram. By faith, he went back to them. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, he chose rather to suffer. Everybody say suffer. Chose to suffer. This is something we don't do in 2019 in America. Why would you choose to suffer? That is just weird. That is just wrong. We don't choose to suffer. We choose to be comfortable. I need a bigger chair, a softer one. I need a bigger mattress and a softer mattress. I need a bigger TV, not a smaller one, because it helps me, helps me see things. I need a bigger phone, not a smaller one. See, we do all these things because we choose not to suffer. Many times serving God means I will choose to suffer. I will choose to live for God even when people make fun of me. I will choose to go to church even when my lawn needs to be mowed. I will choose to give my tithe even if I get behind on my electric bill. This is what it means to serve the Lord, to choose to suffer by faith. Suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Keep going. Verse 26. By faith, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. I could preach about 10 sermons out of this scripture, but I'll spare you. I want you to see what he valued. Even before Christ had come to the earth, he knew that what he was choosing by suffering with the people of God, he was choosing to put value on the kingdom of God. He says, this is more important to me than the riches and the wealth of this world. If we're going to see another generation of disciples, if we're going to see young people rise up and serve God, this is why. Because we see that here in this little church, there's greater value than in playing a video game. There's greater value here in serving God and in outreaching and giving tithe and in going on impact teams. There's greater value here than there is in playing sports. There's a little side note that I want to close with. There's a scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 18, that gives us a little clue about something that may have happened after these events. It's speaking about the genealogy of a certain man named Merid. And it says of this man Merid that he has married a woman named Bethiah who was a daughter of of Pharaoh. Now we can't confirm it, but if this scripture is what it appears, then I believe that this daughter of Pharaoh who pulled Moses out of the river Nile, that she married into the people of God. And when Moses finally returned to deliver the people of God, one of those marching along with them was the the same one, his adopted mother, who did the same, rejecting the culture of Egypt and choosing rather to go with the people of God. Isn't that interesting? And everyone connected with Moses ended up okay. I want to challenge you this morning, church. The greatest responsibility we have if we are parents is to trust God to train these children 
in the things of the Lord. Children are watching us, aren't they? And no matter who you are in this place, if you are a parent or if you are not, the lesson we can learn today is making decisions by fear always leads to bad things. But when we live lives of courage and boldness, when we will act in our faith, then God is able to use those decisions for his glory. Let me encourage you to be a courageous man or woman of God. Let's bow our heads. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.